this morning I want to talk about um, commandments and opinions. Uh, I couldn't really come up with a clever title or anything like that. I, I think that's the most clear way to express uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. I think before we discuss uh, commandments and opinions, though, um, there are somewhat preemptive principles that we have to understand. I think all of us have opinions on something uh, biblical, right? If you're a Bible student, you consider yourself a Christian, there's going to be something that you find you have a particular opinion on. When it comes to sharing our opinions and um, expressing our opinions to one another, we have to understand, first of all, like we read from Matthew 15, 3 through 9, the difference between a man-made opinion or a man-made commandment and God's commandment. But again, there are some very core preemptive principles as Christians that should help us postulate and formulate our opinions on things. Um, so b before we get into like how we form our opinions biblically, uh, which I, I do want us to talk about, I want to emphasize some of those core principles. First of all, and I think this is obvious, it's the first and greatest commandment, loving God and loving others, right? In 1 John 3, if you want to turn there, um, 1 John chapter 3, of course, you know the the book of First John. You understand that the book is a lot about this idea of love, this core concept of love, and it really hits hard in chapters three and four. In verse eleven of chapter three, he says, "This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another." Again, this core principle, according to John, is from the very beginning. We know that what we're supposed to do is love each other, right? And he emphasizes the same thing in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, identifying a very core principle, a core value, I guess, of Christianity, that if we don't love each other, how can we say that we're, we're living in Christ, right? Um, he says in verse 16, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We love because he first loved us, right? He says in chapter 4. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we're really starting to formulate some key principles here. When we think about our, our opinions, right? These are some good, this is some good groundwork in how we handle our opinions on biblical topics. By laying down our lives for the brethren, right? He says... In verse um, 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You can apply this to tons of areas of Christianity, but when you're talking about opinions, is it not true that we must be careful that we're not loving simply in word and in tongue? But when we're just expressing our opinions with another, we, we love in deed and in truth. And he says in verse 19, and by this we know, or uh, by this we we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And he goes on in um, verse 23. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. So again, this core foundational principle of loving each other. In chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, he says, Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. 
I think when it comes to expressing opinions about certain things, and I'm not necessarily going to bring up uh, specific examples. I'm sure you can think of examples. But I think when it comes to expressing our opinions on biblical topics, um, we have to be careful that we're not found in this category of saying, I love God, I love truth, and hating our brother. Right? Um, he says, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Man, what a what a powerful illustration, or maybe not illustration, but expression, right, of, of why we should love one another. On a very physical standpoint, I can see you. You can see me. How can I say that I love God if I don't love you whom I, whom I see right before my very eyes, right, or can feel or can touch? Um... This is a commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So again, this core foundational principle, loving one another, is, is key to postulating, formulating our opinions on biblical topics and sharing them with one another. Another important concept is submission, which is tied closely with love, right? Ephesians 5.21 says that we're supposed to submit to one another in the fear of God. So, again, this, this core foundational principle of submission ties in closely, again, with how we handle our opinions on biblical topics. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. We all know this passage pretty well, I would assume. Uh, most of us do. Um, but Philippians uh, 2, verses 1 through 4 says, let's begin in verse uh, 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So again, this idea of submitting our ideas, our will, to, to the will of one another. Okay? Um, Closely tied with this idea of love and its submission is, is humility. Romans chapter 12, Paul says in Romans 12, when he really starts getting into the application portion, um, specific applications of Romans, he says in, in chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, um, For I say through the grace, of, uh, the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I think that's uh, temptation, right? When we start to formulate opinions on certain topics, we start to think about ourselves that we, we know something, right? We know something that maybe others just haven't seen yet or they don't get. Blake and I were kind of talking about this on, on Wednesday. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do, the same, uh, do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So then, again, a foundational principle, having that humility, not, not exalting our own selves above one another, understanding for the greater good, right, the, um, the maintenance of unity. Okay. And lastly... Just simply the concept of obedience. Um, in Romans 6, verse 16, 
Paul says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Again, what is our goal? Is our goal obedience or is our goal self-exaltation? And we're going to talk more about some of these things in, in detail here in a minute. But I'm trying to tie these passages in with what we're talking about this morning. Um, Philemon 1 and verse 21, I think, is a great verse to kind of go along uh, with our topic this, this morning. Philemon 1 and verse 21. This is Paul talking to Philemon. He says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Philemon was a good example, right, of really trying to obey. He wanted to do what was right. Is that not the same attitude that we ought to have when, again, expressing and formulating opinions on biblical topics? Um, and Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 talks about how Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered, right? So he might um, bring salvation to all of us. That's not an exact, that's a paraphrase of, of what he says there in verse 9. But anyway, th- these are all groundwork, I think, for establishing the differences between uh, or, or uh, establishing a framework for how we formulate our opinions uh, on Bible topics. And I think it's a foundation, too, for expressing or, or uh, examining the difference between God's commands and our opinions. Okay. My goal this morning is not to say or identify everything that we could possibly have an opinion on in the Bible this morning. I, I don't, I'm not trying to attack um, things that are opinions and things that are specific commands. That's not my goal. My goal this morning is, again, every one of us is going to have different opinions on something in Scripture. And what I want us to take away from Scripture this morning is how do I formulate my opinions? And what is the attitude I I approach that with? Okay. Um, Perfect example from Scriptures is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. this is God in his wisdom, right? Giving us answers to like everything that we could ever ask about in some way or another, either by principle or by specifically addressing it. First Corinthians 7 is exactly that when we're talking about formulating a t- uh, opinions or how we you know, come up with our opinions on something. First Corinthians 7 is a great example, I think. Um, in this uh, chapter, Paul's talking about marriage. In the beginning, he starts saying how uh, I command you, yet not I, but the Lord in verse 10. And then he starts, as we go on through the chapter, he starts uh, talking about how I don't have a specific commandment from God, but I'm giving you, I'm giving you my judgment or my opinion on this matter. So how did Paul formulate his opinion on this matter, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Well, I think it was based on a couple things. If you look at verse 21, or excuse me, verse 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. 
Okay, so why was Paul trustworthy? He considers himself, through the Lord, to be trustworthy. He considers himself, as an apostle of God, to be someone whose opinion is noteworthy, right? Is trustworthy. Well, and he goes on to explain how that is so in verse 40. He says, and we're picking up in the middle of a context, but I'm uh, drawing out a principle from this verse. She is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment or according to my opinion, right? And I think I also have the Spirit of God. So Paul is saying, look, I'm an apostle. I believe that I have the Spirit of God. I'm an, I'm an inspired man according to God's mercy, as he said in verse 25. So my, my opinion, my judgment on this, I believe to be trustworthy. So first, Paul formulates his opinion on this based on his possession of the Spirit of God, right? And that's what he said in verse 40. And I think the second thing that Paul uses as a foundation for how he formulates his opinion on this matter of marriage in 1 Corinthians 7 is his brethren. Everything that we read in 1 John 3, 1 John 4, Paul is applying in 1 Corinthians 7 as he formulates his opinion on marriage, he's considering his brethren, what's best for them. He says in verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. In verse uh, 28, even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So again, his, his concept is, I think because of the present distress and the trouble that you might have in the flesh of this, because I want to spare you of that trouble, don't get married, right? He's, he's concerned for the, the physical well-being and spiritual well-being of his brethren because we see that spiritual emphasized in verses 32 through 35. He says, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, but she that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, for that I may uh, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So, first he's concerned about the distress that they might receive in the flesh, right? And secondly, he's concerned about their spiritual well-being. He says, here's the other added benefit of not marrying. You can serve the Lord undistracted, totally focused on him, right? Again, Paul's opinion in all of this is, is postulated off of his possession of the Spirit of God, according to verse 40, and the betterment of his brethren, both physically and spiritually. But here's what I want to emphasize, and I think this is an important principle for us as we formulate opinions on various topics in Scripture. Is that if you look closely in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul did not allow his opinions to supersede the commandment of God. And he made it very clear what was his judgment, what was based on his opinion, and what was the commandment of God. In verse uh, 28. We read it earlier. He says, If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. 
right? I think it's better for you not to get married is what he's saying. But if she does marry, she's not sinning. He, he says the same thing in uh, verses 35 and 36. Uh, beginning in verse, let's read verse 36 because we read verse 35 already. If any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let him marry. Again, he makes it very clear. It's not, it's not wrong for you to go against my judgment on this matter, right? But this is my opinion for your betterment. Is this not, I think, a great foundation for us and knowing and understanding how to formulate our opinions on certain matters. And that from the very foundation, Paul is, is thinking about others. He's thinking about their benefit, their betterment on his opinion on this subject. Not, oh, you know what, I'm an apostle. And I just think it's better for you not to get married. You know, I, I think you should just go with my opinion on this. Just trust me on this. You know, he can say the exact same things, but with totally different intentions of trying to exalt himself, right? And trying to make himself look good. But again, you see the attitude of Paul. and saying, you have not sinned, but I'm just giving you advice. I think that's a great foundation on, on how we, again, the attitude that we approach in, in formula, formulating our opinions on things. <clears throat> So firstly, how should we formulate opinions according to the example of Paul? Well, we've talked about some of that uh, just now, but according to the, the two very specific things that he points out, one, is it consistent with what the Spirit of God teaches? Is our judgment, is our opinion on a subject consistent with what the Spirit of God teaches? Paul thought that his opinion on this matter was. He said that in verse 40, I think that I have the Spirit of God. Right. <clears throat> For us today, that means that we formulate our opinions on what the Spirit of God teaches us through the Word. First Corinthians chapter two, verses seven through sixteen explains that whole concept, that whole process of how the Spirit of God has explained or taught spiritual things to us, has revealed to us the mind of God. And that it's those things that Paul and the apostles are teaching, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 2. <clears throat> he says in verse 15, He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ as Christians today? The apostles were inspired men, right? He had the Spirit of God directly inspired from the Spirit of God. But how do we have that today? It's by reading these words, these things that have been revealed to the apostles and thus revealed to us. We formulate our opinions based on what the Spirit of God has taught the apostles, has taught through Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that. Uh, he says... By revelation, he made known to me the mystery, beginning in verse 3, Ephesians 3, verse 3. By revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So, again, Paul clearly says that when you read these things, you will understand my knowledge into what the Spirit of God, what the will of God is. It was hidden in past ages, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So, again, it's the things that we read from the apostles things that we read from the prophets, the words of Jesus that allow us to formulate an opinion based on what the Spirit of God teaches. John 6 and verse 63, Jesus said that about his own words. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Okay, so it's the words of Jesus it's the teachings of the apostles. It's the teaching of the prophets. That should be the core. That should be the foundation of our opinions, right, on, on God. So, again, Paul used that same principle, and we ought to as well. Secondly, when formulating an opinion on a Bible topic, is it for the betterment of ourselves or our brethren as Christians? And I mean that not in a selfish way of ourselves, but like, is it going to help us spiritually, individually, or is it going to help our brethren spiritually as Christians? We have to ask ourselves that question. When we have an opinion on a subject, how is this going to help us together be what God wants us to be? Again, Paul was looking at that both physically and spiritually for, in 1 Corinthians 7 for his brother. In our scriptural opinions, are we seeking the betterment of the church or the exaltation of our personal judgment? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. When getting into discussions about maybe gray areas as we define them, how do we approach that? Right off the bat, you can identify what you're perspective is because you know from the beginning whether or not you're trying to be on the defensive and prove your point or you're trying to speak clearly on the word for the betterment of the church or for the betterment of your brother right in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and Paul addresses this concept in a few different passages, 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 10, this idea of matters of liberty as we might uh, define them, particularly in eating meat. This is the specific example that he's giving. And though I don't think that this idea of matters of liberty can be applied across the board to any topic that might be a gray area, um, I do think Paul sets forth some very foundational principles in these passages about how we ought to treat these matters if it is a matter of opinion or a matter of personal judgment. How do we treat that? 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. Concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have not, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. I think... This is a great passage when talking about gray areas, opinions on gray areas, right? 
And when we're approaching a discussion with someone, is it with an attitude of, oh, I, I know something about this topic, and this brother just doesn't know that yet, so I'm just going to, I'm going to show him, I'm going to inform him. Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 8. If it's about knowledge, knowledge is all about just puffing up. But what does love do? Love is approaching this concept or this um, subject to edify. If we think that we know something on a specific topic, Paul says, you don't know anything yet as you ought to know. So if, if, if it's all about exalting your own knowledge, you better bring yourself down real quick because you know nothing yet as you ought to know. And then he says in verses 9 through 13, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? Because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In this discussion of eating meat, where did Paul lie? Was he in the category of people who had no knowledge or the people who had the knowledge? I think he was in the category of people who had the knowledge. He knew that it was okay for him to eat meat, right? And it was totally fine. He could have done that and not been sinning, right? But the principle that he lays forth here in 1 Corinthians 8 is I may have knowledge about a specific subject, and I may think I know that uh, you know, I can do something without guilt, right? But if it's offending my brother, I'm never going to do it again. What a key principle in maintaining unity. It, this is how Satan creeps into churches, is it not? We, you know, People get a, an idea about a certain topic or a certain subject, and they start teaching something. And, and let me say this before I go on with this example. I'm definitely not trying to delineate between arguing for truth between what's right and wrong, okay? Because that's very clear. If something is very sinful and it's, it's laid out in Scripture that something is wrong, then we ought to stand up for that, and we need to take a stand for that, even if it means people leaving the church. We never sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. But on the other hand, if it is a matter of opinion, right, how should we approach this? Should we be willing to give up what we want or we think is right in a certain situation? Again, not a matter of truth, but a matter of opinion. Should we be willing to sacrifice that for the sake of unity? Paul says, I would do it. Paul also said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So, again, foundational principle here, an attitude and how we formulate our, our, our opinions, is it for the betterment of ourselves and our brethren as Christians, or is it really for the exaltation of my own personal judgment on the matter? In no way should we allow our opinions to become law or supersede the commandment of God. 
That's what we read in, in Matthew chapter 15, right? They allowed their traditions, to, they, they were so ingrained in their tradition at, by this point that Jesus said, you're worshiping me in vain. You draw near to me with the, with the lip, but your hearts are far from me. You know, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So again, in no way should we allow our opinion to uh, be valued over God's commandments. Also, what opinions we are at liberty to hold, this is key as well, does not necessarily benefit the body of Christ. Paul also taught this in 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And depending on how one might interpret this verse, if all things, according to the old law, are lawful for Paul at this point, right? He says, just because they're lawful doesn't mean they're helpful. Just because they're lawful for me doesn't mean I should be brought under its power. In Romans 14, verse, uh, beginning of verse 14, again, this, this concept of eating meat, things that are unclean and things that are clean, a little different than the meat offered to idols um, subject. But beginning in verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. So Paul says, look, I know that this is okay for us to eat unclean things according to the old law, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your feud, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God, acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Perhaps you could say for the sake of opinion, right? And I don't mean to interject my words over God's in, in that way, but I, I think this was a matter of opinion, correct? Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of your opinion. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. You hear, I said I wouldn't bring up specific examples, but I'm going to. You hear about people dividing entire congregations over drinking wine. How ridiculous is that? 
Paul said very specifically, it's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. If it's going to make your brother stumble, if it's going to divide a congregation, don't do it. Right? And I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, that's a whole other topic. And I, I will mm -hmm. say, I'll point you to this lesson because Ben Hall preached a lesson on drinking wine at Emory Hills a few weeks ago. That was excellent. I thought he hit it right on the head. It was a wonderful lesson. If you want to listen to a good lesson on that specific subject, go listen to that lesson. But in any topic in which we, we find these sharp debates within the church, at what cost are we going to be found to be right? At what cost? In the absence of a command, have I developed my opinion to be pleasing to Christ? I think this might be a kind of far out there example, but you think about if, uh, if you're an athlete, you know, you have a very specific diet, typically. And your coach invites you over to dinner, and he's got all kinds of everything. You know, junk food, things that are according to your diet, things that aren't. Is it right or wrong for you to eat anything and everything that you want? Right there in front of your coach. I don't know. I don't know that you could say it's wrong. I don't know that you could say it's right. But if you're being mindful of the greater cause, right, of being of your work as an athlete or of pleasing your coach, you're going to eat what's according to your diet. All things may be lawful for you, but all things may not be helpful. We are allowed to have opinions based on Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10. But I will add this, that we're allowed to have opinions on things that God has allowed but not required, such as eating meat, right? Or meat offered to idols or whatever. Vegetables offered to idols as they do. With, I think Hindus do that. The whole, I think you guys are getting the point. The whole point of this lesson is when standing up for our opinions and formulating our opinions, who do we have in mind? Is it God and is it our brother or is it self? The key difference, I said my title was commandments versus opinions. The key difference between a commandment of God and an opinion of man is that commandments are required <laughs> and opinions are not. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 19, this is the last verse that I have. And then similarly in Acts 5.29, but in Acts 4.19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. 
in Acts 5, 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, of course, in this specific context, these men were telling them to do things, you know, opposing what they had specifically been told to do from God. But the principle holds true. That are we going to obey our own desires on a specific subject, or are we going to obey God? Some key, I think, principles, some key thoughts when we're discussing sticky topics with our brethren or when we're taking a stance for something. How are you approaching that? Is it with love? Is it with for the betterment is it for the betterment of others or is it for the exaltation of self? I didn't particularly hit on uh, the topic of surrendering your surrendering your life to God um, and how that is is to be done. Um, I guess I did in a general sense of loving God and loving our neighbor, right? But the invitation still holds true this morning of uh, if we're not surrendering our life to God, if we've never surrendered our life to God, we have an opportunity. If you know the word, you know the truth, you know what you need to do, why not today? Why not today? And if you have surrendered your life to God at one time or another and you've fallen away from that, again, this morning is an opportunity to restore your relationship with him. Uh, we would love to pray with you, pray for you in that. And if there is a need, we invite you to uh, let that be known as we stand and as we sing. Number 493.